0: hopefully you're not one of those students that writes a paper like in one night the night before it's
1: due (laughs) i read a lot of them Uh, i read a ton of them and i have for years and i but in in the same way that i have read papers that were poorly done i have heard sermons that were poorly done and mainly was because they weren't ready you're listening to an ongoing discussion on life ministry and leadership this is the brian zams
0: podcast Welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. This is Aaron Chan, and today I will be your host for a special edition. I've got
1: Brian Sams right here. Hey, Aaron, it's good to be in my own podcast. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> the roles are a little reversed. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I have been teaching homiletics since uh, 2008 or nine. And I I tell you, man, the, the ability to communicate is so important because the gospel in our world, it's a preached gospel. I mean, it is a message that God told us to declare to the world. And that declaration is predominantly verbalized. I mean, it Mm -hmm. can certainly be written, but you know, good writing, good communication all really has to one to do with the other. I, I don't claim in any way to be a great communicator. But I do think along the way, I have sought to do it as best I can to not ever get in the way of what Christ would ever want to do in someone's life. And I would say that it's been a constant point of growing in my life. And I think our listeners can benefit a great deal from just some principles about how to communicate better.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I was uh, just, I was on the Google the other day, and uh, i found some of these quotes that were very interesting because i I was wondering you know preaching is probably the most important kind of communication that you can do one of the most important kind of communication and i I was just kind of looking and searching um, google about preaching i came across these quotes that are really really interesting here's one preaching is like throwing a bucket of water over a row of bottles with narrow necks a few drops might find their way into the bottles, but most of the bucketful will go to waste. I don't know if there are uh, a lot of pastors that feel this way, you know, but it seems like, man, when you when you get done preaching, you feel like, man, I just poured my heart out. And uh, it feels like sometimes, man, did they really get it, you know? And th- there's another story about Saint Anthony. I have no idea who this guy is. I think it's a Catholic legend or something. <laughs> yeah, there's a pretty but, good chance of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's a there's a famous story about him, I guess, in in the Roman uh, Catholic culture. Saint Anthony tried to preach to a city, and nobody wanted to listen to him. And so he went out to a pond, and he started preaching to the fish. And the fish lined up, and they all started listening. They thought it was a compelling sermon. And there's a short poem about it. It says, The sermon now ended, each turned and descended. The pikes went on stealing, the eels went on eeling. Much delighted were they, but preferred the old way. Mm. And I think as preachers, we would all think, I hope that the people that are listening to my preaching do not just think, what a great speaker, or, Mm. or maybe not a great speaker, and then they leave the church service not to be changed at all, that nothing was done. And so that would be our prayer, I guess, for all of our our listeners and all of our preacher friends that we have. Um, I've got a few questions for you. Yes. And uh, there there are some uh, some easy ones or some more difficult ones. There are some that maybe, uh, maybe you might not have thought of before, but um, I'm going to get right into it here. Question number one I've got for you is, what is your number one rule for getting a point across?
1: Oh, wow. So I, I think I want to speak in the plainest, clearest language that I can possibly speak. You know one little trick that I do in my sermons and my outlines is I make my outlines communicative. You know so oftentimes you see guys and they'll have one word outlines, you know, mm-hmm. the identification, the this, the that, and that doesn't that doesn't speak well. You always are going to have to put that into a sentence as an example. So I'm always thinking, okay, when I'm speaking, I'm actually talking to the audience. so I want to speak like I'm talking to the audience, and then as it relates to Actual preaching. I'm actually preaching to the audience, meaning I'm looking at the audience. I'm gauging how they're responding. I'm spanning the audience so that I can communicate to every person in the audience. You know, if the if you if you're, if your auditorium is, is is fanned, as an example, kind of mm-hmm. like ours is, you can't. You know, if you're not careful, you might preach to one group. You might forget that there's somebody way out here on the side. So I think I think if I just think about. Getting my point across means I am actually communicating. I'm not just doing a homily. I'm not just doing an expositional exercise. The point of this message is to communicate to the audience. And I think if I think like a communicator... Then that's going to be a place to get started.
0: Yeah, almost like you're talking to them, not at them. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yes. How can you tell whether your audience is actually understanding what you're saying? Yeah.
1: There. Well, there've been there've been a few times where I, th- I felt like I was I was maybe in the deep water, so to speak. And it, typically, that would be in a church moment where maybe I was doing a Bible study lesson. Occasionally, maybe with a group of young people. I I don't know that I can always tell. Other than I can tell when somebody's not engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're sleeping or maybe their <laughs> arms are folded and they're leaned back or maybe they're talking to someone. And so as far as their understanding, the best thing I could ever tell anybody to try to ensure understanding is preach, preach to the smallest mind in the audience. Yeah, and I don't mean like the moron in the audience. I mean, <laughs> I mean, speak to the person like the child. Mm-hmm. So if I know that my third grade son can understand what I'm saying, then I'm pretty sure that the adults can understand what yeah. I'm saying.
0: It, let's say that you're hitting on a point and there's somebody in the audience, maybe maybe more than one, maybe it was three or four, they're just kind of looking at you like, they're, they're wrinkling their nose a little bit. They're like, man, I really... Understand. <laughs> what? How do you do? How do well, you rewind go rule. back? Here's yeah. been a
1: rule. I don't want to skirt that question, but I will tell you kind of typically what I do. My rule of thumb is always I'm not going to break the concentration of the whole for the sake of the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, example, I've preached in so many youth conferences and settings and camps over the years that when I was young and a little bit more feisty, I would actually stop and kind of rebuke kids along the way. What I found was that's kind of weak because what I'm doing is let's say there's 100 kids in the room, 95 of them are listening. Mm-hmm. Two of them are in the back, you know, laughing. Well, why do I really want to stop what I'm doing to, to disrupt everybody else, to engage the two people back there that are not. So in the case where there might be two or three people that I don't think they're getting it, you know, I'm more than likely just going to go on. And in oftentimes, even in the invitation, I'll say something like, Hey man, if I can answer any questions or I can meet with you, you know, just I'll be in the back. Oh yeah, you know. That's so, good. so that's yeah. another way to do it. I have found occasionally people will send a message or send me an email and say I struggled with this particular point could you help me with that very rarely have I ever seen a moment where this the whole place was lost you know Warren Weersby said this if there's mist in the pulpit there's fog in the pew mm-hmm. so the very best way to combat what you're talking about right there is to absolutely be crystal clear on what you're saying before you ever get up there
0: how do you avoid clichés we I know you've been preaching for a long time there's probably been some specific one-liners that you've heard over the years, or you've maybe used yourself, do you consciously try to avoid those now? Or do you, you know, what do you do? If it just flows off the tongue, do you just? Yeah, I, I, I'm,
1: I, my style is extemporaneous. I have about a five page manuscript that is not word for word. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't type out everything. So I'm running extemporaneous, meaning I've I've studied, I've saturated, but I entrust certain word choices to the Holy spirit at the time of delivery, which I think is the most effective way to preach. Um, but you know, do I find my, like my church would laugh if any of them are listening to this, you know, I say stuff like y'all ain't even hearing me. Yeah. I say <laughs> that that's not as much of a cliche as it is just something I repeat. And I do that on purpose. Sometimes when I feel like I'm saying something that you should be engaged in, you should be riled up about. It's my way of audience engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as cliches, I would tell you the best way to avoid cliche-ish preaching is if you will stop reading what other people are saying, Mm -hmm. because what happens with a lot of guys is their preaching is just not fresh. Frankly, it's very canned. It's very mechanical. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, you know, like like the old classic sermon title, save to serve. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a billion times. And it shows me that that you weren't really you weren't freshly engaging that text. You were thinking you were thinking about what other people have repeated about that text over and over again. And I can tell it over, I can tell it easily when somebody's doing it, and so for me, I think I would call it fresh preaching, meaning getting. You know, uh, so, you know, one guy, one guy says I, I, I milk a lot of cows, but I churn my own butter. Yeah. Okay, you you can get certain material from some people, and I do some of that, but but my very basic preparation method is I am milking the cow for myself. I'm reading the text. I'm thinking through what the text means. And I usually, when I do that, uh, I become more fresh rather than canned. Mm-hmm.
0: Here's something that I struggle with. I think myself, and maybe it's because I'm from California. We talk faster. I don't know what it is, or maybe I'm just nervous. I don't know. Um, But how do you or or do you ever consciously regulate your talking speed? When you speak, does it sound slower to you than maybe it sounds in the audience?
1: Well, I think I'm always prone to talking faster than most people would be comfortable with. I've never been accused of being quiet, for sure. But as as far as talking with speed, the answer is yes, I will at times regulate the speed. Because what I've often found is I'm more dynamic, I'm more energetic, I'm more loud, Okay. So for me, points of emphasis aren't always being loud. It's when I soften. It's Mm -hmm. when I quiet. And a lot of times in a church like ours, for instance, there's a lot of amens. There's a lot of crowd involvement. And a lot of that is instigated by me. Okay. But here's the deal. When it gets quiet, like, that's probably the best thing that ever happens. Yeah, I them. like the rowdy yeah. moments. I mean, I look, you can get up and run around with me if you want to. And when, even people standing up and shouting, and th- that doesn't bother me at all. I love it. But that's probably not the moment of greatest Holy Spirit engagement. So I would say oftentimes when I have made a compelling story and I've drawn an application, that's a good moment to just stop. Mm-hmm. And of course, transitions are more natural to slow down, make sure they get it a lot of times when I'm speaking the the actual point that I'm trying to make, if there's divisions in the sermon uh or points as some people call them uh, I definitely am going to slow down there and try to articulate a little better what I'm saying. so if you talk fast, one of the things you got to consciously think about is is um articulation mm-hmm. Now, I took a class in college it was called um it was called voice and Diction, and it was most people think it was the most pointless class ever. For me, it was probably the best class I took for speaking, and it forced me to slow down. I remember one exercise we had to do was to stand in front of the mirror and repeat 20 times a day or or 20 times in one session, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. We had to, And then we had to do it for an exercise for a grade hmm. because my teacher was forcing me to hit all those T's and to all those S's. And not just to let my words die out. So I think if you're more consciously thinking about articulation, you naturally slow down a little bit, particularly in points that you're trying to make.
0: Ooh, that's good. Now, we we all know that preaching is just as much about your word choice as it is about volume and pitch and tone control. Let's say you uh, are preaching and you preach loudly a lot like you like you do. How do you care for your voice? Do, is there a certain drink that you like? Do you like to drink something before you preach or um, afterward to kind of uh, soothe the vocal cords or? Well, what do you do?
1: I mean, I drink, you know, I do try to drink a lot of water before and after. Almost every time I get done preaching, I'm looking to one of you guys, somebody bring me a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. So I would say, obviously, before and after just wetting the whistle, so to speak, again, to kind of replenish what you lost. I will say nothing can replace appropriate breathing when you preach. Mm. Um, diaphragmatic breathing. And If you ever have a question about what diaphragmatic breathing is, watch a baby breathe. Mm-hmm. Because a baby doesn't heave in the chest. I have an eight-day-old baby in my house. And when I look at Braxton laying down and sleeping, his, it's his belly mm-hmm. that's moving. That's natural breathing. So when I'm even talking right now, when I, when I cheat a breath in between conversation, I feel right here in my diaphragm the expansion. And you can, that's an easy exercise to do when you're breathing, you should feel your hand expand. When you're talking, you should feel pressure right here in your diaphragm, just under your rib cage. Mm -hmm. If you're, you know what they call wind sucking, there's a lot of vein stuff going on here. There's a lot of strain. There's a lot of heaving up in your chest. You're definitely going to destroy your voice. And I am not willing to do that because my voice Is the number one instrument God gave me. It is literally the way I make my living, first of all. Mm -hmm. It is secondly the instrument that God has given me to preach the gospel. And to hinder my voice by not intentionally caring for it is a huge mistake. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's say um, somebody out, one of our listeners, is aware that they tend to be monotone. Or maybe if you don't think you're monotone, maybe a good way to make sure is hey, ask your wife or ask somebody. (laughs) Hey, am I monotone? Listen to yourself. That's wonderful. Let's say that you've come to the realization that, you know, I could probably use more expression in my voice when I'm preaching. What would be your suggestion to improve?
1: Yeah, number one problem I see with monotone preachers is their manuscripts are messed up. Hmm. I remember one guy that I taught in, out, in, out in California. He was particularly bad. I mean, I heard a lot of bad preaching in my time, but he was particularly bad. It was, it was dry. He, he would get lost in his notes. And one day I just said to him, hey, let me see your notes. And it looked like a book. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm going to speak okay, to an audience, I don't want to be looking at a manuscript that looks like a book. So maybe I'll have Jason include a sample sermon manuscript into the notes of this show because I use a spacing system, a highlighting system, a font system within my sermon that makes it more communicable again. Like when I'm up at the pulpit, most of my church probably doesn't think I even use notes at all because my notes are structured in such a way that I'm glancing at them. Now, that assumes the biggie here. Okay, Monotone preaching comes from manuscript reading, typically. Manuscript reading comes typically from lack of preparation. And you may use a manuscript if you want to, but if you read a manuscript when you're preaching, you're not preaching, you're reading. Yeah. So I think that's the, the biggest thing. The way I overcome that is I overcome that through internalization of the sermon. Now, I recognize that I'm a more dynamic personality or whatever, and I can't do anything about that. That's just who I am. I'm sitting here on the air talking with my hands right now. I'm, I'm like, I'm getting all jacked up right now as I'm talking, but that's not everybody. But I think of people like Shane Lewis, who died recently, who was by no means a, a, you know, blow it up kind of preacher, but he was such a dynamic communicator. And it's because he, he knew his message. He told stories. Well, it was internalized one quick story at another guy it was really, really poor communicator and, and homiletics and <laughs> he he struggled because he read too much, and I would tell the guys, don't read your sermon, mm-hmm. okay? And he came one day, almost late to class. It was his turn to preach, and he, he, his, his face was white as a ghost. He was scared. He looked at me and said, preacher, I forgot my notes in my room. Can I go back and get them? And I said, no, your notes are not in your room. Your notes are in your heart. And so get up there and preach the message that God put on your heart. And he did as as good as I've ever heard him do. And I think it was a transforming moment. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys are not trusting the Lord. That becomes their crutch. And when you complicate that, By not internalizing it, you're going to be monotone. So I would say uh, getting the message in your heart, adjusting your manuscript will be the easiest ways for you to adjust your monotone. As far as expression, man, look at people. Again, it goes back to the same stuff. You can't look in the faces of your audience while you're preaching and stay flat-faced. Yeah. You're, you're talking. I mean, when do you when do you sit there like this looking at your friend talking over coffee and you're not your 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 jaws don't move, your lips don't there's never a smile. Well you're not communicating. And so therefore your your sermon's falling on dead ears. Mm, that's good. Who are some of your favorite communicators? Oh man, so as far as church, you know, preachers go, I love Kurt Skelly. He's funny. He's uh, he's engaging. He's super knowledgeable. He everything I just said about monotone preacher. He is not. Um, I love H B Charles Jr. Obviously, he's. I think he's just the best pulpiteer of our day. He's 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 not really funny necessarily, but he's intense. He's doxological. Mm-hmm. It's very worshipful. It's very God centered. It's obviously very expositional. Um, he, you know, I also have enjoyed historically studying people outside of the church. I'm not making any statement about politics here, but Jesse Jackson, the, active, uh, the, the civil rights activist, is a profound communicator. Mm-hmm. I actually took a course in college called Rhetoric and Public Address. I was a speech minor. That was my minor. And so I took like 30 credits of speech when I was in college. And one of the courses was on historical political speeches from 1960 to whatever it was wow. some weird thing but it was awesome and Jesse Jackson was featured in there he was a political he was a presidential candidate I think in 84 mm-hmm. I don't know if he was the final presidential candidate maybe that shows my weak historical understanding but <laughs> he was a prominent political figure and man he had some rousing terms Martin Luther King jr mm-hmm. may be one of the best communicators ever mm-hmm. and it's not just I have a dream I mean we all think of that one which was one of the most amazing pieces of rhetoric in American history, but it was letters from a Birmingham jail. It was the, the sermon. I've been to the mountaintop that he preached the night before he died. Mm-hmm. And I could go on. You need to listen to Martin Luther King jr. You need to listen to Jesse Jackson, maybe some other people historically that have been rhetoricians. Adrian Rogers is probably historically maybe the golden voice of all Baptist preachers. Those are maybe five or six of the ones I've enjoyed.
0: Uh, What are the pros and cons of making your point very simple?
1: Yeah. You know, I think some people would think that that a con would be, you know, there may be more educated people in your audience that would maybe not think you're being intellectual enough. I actually think that's actually bogus. I don't think there's actually any cons to being simple. Mm -hmm. Think of TED Talks. Some, they'll take some profound oh, yeah. thing and make yeah. it simple and they communicate it very well. I don't think there's any con to being simple. The pros of being simple is that the people get the message. The pros, secondly, would be that the youngest people in the audience get the message. And the other pro is that you're taking new sheep a lot of times along the journey, you know, and what I've found is that Christians don't always remember and retain everything I say for certain, but if they can leave with one profound thought, not not profound in the sense of, of elaborate, but profound, something that was impactful, then that's really the win there. And so I can't lose. I don't think there's any cons. There can be some cons on the other hand of being very elaborate or in depth example would be the opposite of what I just said. Sometimes a kid can't get it. Sometimes a simple minded person can't get it. Uh, Sometimes when you are focused on being elaborate in depth, you don't get, you're not practical. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, they call it the the wetsuit sermon. You go down deep, but you come up dry. Mm -hmm. So that, that is, that is a, a very common mistake. I think the way to solve that problem, okay, is to make sure that your sermon has application in it. At the end of the day, like I'm preaching this coming Sunday, as I'm recording this, this next sermon is on the baptism of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's some richly theological things that are prevalent in that sermon. And yet I am asking the question, okay, what is the significance of this message to my audience? Okay, what does the baptism of Jesus have to do with me? And by doing that, you can bring the profound to the simple. Even the most difficult doctrines in the Bible, when rightly understood, have a profound application for the audience. Example for me would be the sovereignty of God, probably the most complex, profound thing in the whole Bible, that God rules all things. And yet I have found that to be the most helpful in my own personal life this year and hopefully and, and probably for the rest of my life uh, will be the most profound thing that I will that I will lean upon.
0: This next question may be irrelevant, but do you choose whether to be simple or in depth or or and then if you do, how do you choose Okay, let's say that you've got a, a point that you wanna make. Do you decide do I need to make this simple? Do I need to make this in depth? What is your thought process? Yeah, sure.
1: That? Well I, I think I wanna think about my audience. Are will they when when, when we read this on the surface, are they gonna understand it? Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry Vine says good expository preaching helps people read their Bibles. And I think that's good. I think I think I am trying to get them to learn how to process God's word. It may be that I do need to show them something. But what I won't do, okay, if I'm going to do something deep, like get into some Greek words or Hebrew words, or I'm going to talk about sentence construction, or I'm going to talk about how that word is used over and over and over again, I'm going to point them to the most simple resource that you can get, like Blue Letter Bible. Now, it may be that I have Kittle's Theological Dictionary, New Testament words, or some other profound thing that I've actually looked at and researched, but I'm not going to push that across, nor am I going to do things like, Overpronounce Greek words to try to make everybody feel like I know something that's more important. Again, the goal is to get it to them. I may need to explain something. Example, these next two Sundays, I'm going to have to explain an issue. Why did Jesus get baptized when John's baptism was a baptism of repentance? Mm-hmm. What was Jesus repenting of? And of course, we know the answer is nothing. Okay, but I need to t- I'm going to have to take some time there, and I'm going to have to explain the sinlessness of Christ, and I'm going to have to explain what was actually going on there, and that's going to take a little bit of time, okay? So I've got to explain what needs to be explained. I've got to deal with a difficult subject. And yet, if I keep this one dangling thing over here, where am I going with this? Then I'm going to get there as fast
0: as I can. But how do you best prepare for explaining that type of difficulty? Like this Sunday, for example, How I, I'm going to guess the answer is going to be something like, well, the sermon is going to look like an iceberg, right? you only see the tip of the iceberg, but all of your study, all the things that you don't say, it never makes it to the pulpit.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I was writing down notes this morning. I spent this morning was my real initial hardcore prep of the message. And I'm knowing of all the data I was gathering, all the verses I put down, all the thoughts that went through my mind. I kept, what kept coming, what I kept coming back to on the subject of baptism was the application I'm going to make to the believer. Okay. So the first answer to your question is, is how do I best prepare for explaining a difficult verse? Number one, I've got to know it. Mm-hmm. So the best way to prepare to explain it is to know it. The best way to be prepared to teach somebody something is that you have done that yourself. I mean, James 3, 1, be not many masters. Okay, when you get a teaching degree, what is that called? It's called a master's degree. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means that you have mastered a subject. Now, that's really complex when we start talking about the Bible because although I've even got a doctoral not yet a degree, but I'm almost done with a doctoral level degree in biblical studies. I feel like a stinking first grader when it comes to the Bible. So I know it's weird to talk about that, but the truth is the best way to teach anything complex or diff- or, or simple to an audience is to first know it yourself. And you look, when you come up against a difficult passage, the worst thing you can do is skip it. Okay. The best thing you can do is do all of the necessary prep work that will help you to know it as best you can. And then you can flawlessly communicate it to the audience if you're, if you did it right. Awesome.
0: Cool. I've got one more question. What are some resources for improving your communication skills?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, number one, you got to have a thirst for it. You've got a desire to it. Uh, I, I had a recent college student, um, uh, get frustrated in a, in a preaching class and actually said like, man, I think I'm just going to give up on preaching. And uh, I haven't yet had a chance to meet with this person, but what I'm going to say is number one, well, okay, I know what you're saying. I know you feel frustrated, but why are we taking the class if you don't want to learn? Yeah. Well, okay. Why would you be frustrated at the fact that I pointed out multiple things that were p- problematic? And actually in this case, it was just the the notes. It wasn't the sermon. And I think sometimes we think that we're just there. This is just it. And I would just tell you that you should never stop growing as a communicator. I am constantly growing. I think I'm a far better communicator now than I was 10 years ago when I may have been the most popular in my communication mm-hmm. 10 years ago, maybe, maybe nine years ago. That's when I was maybe more known as far as the nation, if you will. I mean, I was speaking out in a ton of places. I don't. I haven't spoken out since February. Okay. I know it's part coronavirus, but I also don't do it a whole lot anymore. I'm most known, thankfully, in my local church. But as a local church man, I think I have developed and grown more now. And so if you think I'm there and I don't need to improve, well, that's your first mistake. Second thing is, is you need to You need to listen to people who are better than you, okay? It shouldn't be hard to convince yourself that there are other preachers better than you. (laughs) If you're having a hard time with that, there's a whole other issue going on here that we don't have time to address in in this session, but I am constantly listening to guys. I I readily admit that those men that I've mentioned as my favorite communicators I think are far better than I am. So when I listen to them which I do regularly, I am I'm I'm growing just by just you know just by proximity. I'm going to grow in my understanding. Read. The more the better you read, the better of a communicator you are. Your vocabulary will deepen. The harder you prepare is also going to improve your communication. Go back to school, take a class. Don't settle in Take some of these things that I've talked about in respect to adjusting your notes. That might be one of the biggest things you do, one of the easiest things you do. Uh, Here's another huge tip for improving communication. You've got to be prepared to preach well in advance of the preaching moment. Okay now in my case that typically means Thursday the sermon is completed okay I feel like I'm a little bit behind this week just cuz it's a it's a tougher it's a tougher subject frankly I've got my title I've got my theme I'm kind of I'm 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 in the vein you know I'll get my outline to the to the team by probably tomorrow afternoon I'll still have a little bit of work to do but if if I'm not reviewing by Saturday, I'm way behind. Mm-hmm. If I'm still writing content on Saturday, it's not going to have time to mature. So I would say to you, plan ahead, preach through books or, or series of uh, that would, you know, like I'm preaching right now through the life of Christ. And by preparing, you eliminate at least this question, what am I preaching? So by Monday, if you're still asking, what am I preaching on Sunday? You're probably way behind. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not popular with a lot of people, but it's a huge mistake. If you're still trying to figure out on Monday what you're preaching. Even last week, I did a few readings on the baptism of Jesus, knowing this was coming. And that was, I hadn't even preached the previous sermon yet. I'm ahead. I'm always ahead. I'm ahead all the way through, like October right now. I know what's coming, so it's really easy for me to prepare when I'm thinking ahead. And the key to being a good communicator is preparation. Just think think about a um, think about a research paper just for a second, because I think there's so many similarities. Okay. If you know you got a research paper due on October 14th, what does that mean? It means way back, way back ahead, <laughs> you should be knowing your theme, doing your proposition, creating an outline, writing a rough draft way ahead, then proofreading, then getting it to somebody else that can proofread, then editing, that when you come to actually submitting it, you're not preaching, you're not, you're not, you're not giving the rough draft, you're giving the final draft. So much of preaching is a rough draft.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And because it's not been had time to go over multiple times, it becomes a rough sermon because it's a rough draft.
0: And hopefully you're not one of those students that writes a paper like in one night, the night before it's due.
1: (laughs) I read a lot of them. Uh, I read a ton of them and I have for years. And I, but in in the same way that I have read papers that were poorly done, I have heard sermons that were poorly done. And mainly it was because they weren't ready. Yep. Well, this has been great. I always enjoy picking your brain
0: about preaching and communication. If you're a listener today, all of the resources that were mentioned today will be in the show notes. This has been a special edition of the Brian Sams podcast. We will see you again on the next episode.